Good evening, pussycats. I'm just watching an old classic movie, The Wizard of Oz. <sighs> I've just got to the end where the witch has that bucket of water thrown over her and she melts to the ground. Oh, the poor woman. I mean, all she wanted was a decent pair of shoes. So sad. Well, enough of that and on to the first story. And have you ever felt the sensation of someone watching you while you slept? This story happened in 2006 but I only learned what happened in 2017 from my mum. I was born and raised in Bordeaux, France, so French is my first language. At the time this happened, I was three and slept in an upstairs bedroom pretty high up, like it was impossible to climb through my window without making a ton of noise. The house we lived in was also very old and the front door was this massive wooden carved door that also made a ton of noise when you opened it so the only way to get in was to go through the backyard door, which was locked every night. So this was just a regular night. Me and my parents eat dinner. At 8pm, my mum reads me a bedtime story and I go to sleep. It's also good to note that my mum was pretty heavily pregnant at this point, eight months in, so she had trouble sleeping and woke up frequently as it was almost summertime and pretty hot during the day and night. I fell asleep and towards 1am, I wake up to a man standing in front of me, on the side of my bed. There's a little bit of light filtering through the window from the street, so I can see that his eyes are open and pointed straight at me. I don't remember what I said exactly, but it must have been something like, Dad? And the guy just replied, You're so pretty. Now, mind you, I was three, so I did what I know how to do best. I didn't say anything, turned away from him and pretended to be sleeping. At this point, I clearly remember praying he would just leave because I knew from his voice that it was not my dad. Somehow, I went back to sleep but got woken up by a loud noise later on. It was still dark, but I could hear my parents talking downstairs. I thought they were just doing adult stuff and went back to sleep because I was tired at that point. I got woken again by my mum swinging open my door asking me if I was okay. I was super sleepy in that moment, which is probably why I said yes, instead of talking about the guy in my room. I remember her walking up to my bed and giving me the biggest hug of my life and kissing me on the forehead. I fell asleep in her arms sometime later. Now flash forward to a few years later, 2017, when we're at dinner again with my parents and talking about all the dumb stuff me and my brother did when we were little, I suddenly remember the incident and for some reason I get the urge to ask my mum about it. So I ask and I say, hey remember that time when you opened the door in the middle of the night when you were pregnant with my brother and asked if I was okay? That was weird, right? I'm laughing, but my guts tell me there's something I don't know. My mum goes pale and says, 
You mean the time I saw a man exiting your bedroom in the middle of the night and I chased him down the house? I'm sorry, what? I guess since it happened when I was little and very sleepy, my brain didn't really process this thing as something that actually happened. This whole time, I just thought I had dreamed it, hence the laugh when I asked. So basically, that night, my mum couldn't sleep. She heard a noise and thought it was only me sleep-talking when it was really me and the guy having this little conversation mentioned earlier. I guess her mother instinct kicked in because she got an eerie feeling and a few minutes later decided to go and check it out and opened her bedroom door. Just as she does that, a man is standing at the top of the stairs right in front of her bedroom door. His back is to her and she's just speechless. The guy turns to her, they make eye contact and he just starts running down the stairs. My mum grabs her heavy ass Nokia flip phone and just throws it at him. My dad then wakes up and notices his wife isn't in bed anymore and he hears noise downstairs. He flips out. At this point, my mum is chasing the guy downstairs, just throwing shit at him. The guy jumps over the railings of the stairs, darts left towards the backyard door, which was wide open, and jumps over the fence into the night. The fence was also really high and to this day, my parents have no idea how he jumped so high in one jump. Like he just ran and jumped over it like Spider-Man. My dad finally reaches the bottom of the stairs and asks my mum what the hell is happening. She explains it to him and they decide to call the police. Just then, my mum remembers she heard voices in my room and goes, oh my God, he was in Marie's room. She darts back upstairs and swings open my door to which I wake up and she asks me if I'm okay, which I reply, yeah, why? She was freaked out and hugged me. You know the rest. The cops came in and swept the house. My dad's cell phone was missing, along with both their wallets. My mum's phone hadn't been stolen, since it was in their room, and she threw it at the guy when she was chasing him. The weirdest part of all is that my room was at the very end of the hall and not accessible any other way, which means he was trapped in there if someone found him. That means he specifically came into my room and he came in to steal things, why did he come into my room and just look at me sleeping? I also find it weird that he didn't do anything to me, as crazy as it sounds, like he could have done anything, but he just stood there. In the end, the investigation proved that my mum had forgotten to lock the door that night, which is how he got in. They never found the guy, and probably never will, which scares me a little. We moved out since then, but this still scares me to this day, and the fact that anything could have happened that night chills me to my core. Thanks for listening, and remember to always lock your doors. To preface this story, I am a paramedic and I have been for about 10 years. Working in emergency medicine, you get to see the weirdest and worst of people. So it's not too uncommon for these types of stories to exist. However, in my 10 years, I have never experienced pure terror incarnate like I had about six years ago. I will not be revealing specific or identifying details as it pertains to privacy and HIPAA. About six years ago, I moved to another city for work. I worked for a 911 ambulance service that responded to calls in the city, as well as the county which had a few other small towns. The city itself was not a large city sub, 100,000 people. Working for that service required 24-hour shifts. It wasn't particularly busy, 
maybe you'd get five to 10 calls in 24 hours and generally some decent night's sleep. The city was a pretty rough place as the oil industry had boomed there, which drew all sorts of folk from around the country to work in the oil fields nearby. One night in January, me and my partner, who was an EMT basic, received a call from the next town over. It was about 2 a.m. when the call came out and the only information we had was that a person in an apartment called 911 after hearing the downstairs neighbor screaming for help. We responded emergent as the details were very limited. When we arrived on scene, police and fire department were already there and we were getting ready to make an entrance into the building with them. The person who called 911 was there and told us which apartment she had heard the screaming from. We attempted to pound on the door at first to get the resident to come to the door. When no one answered, the fire department got ready to spread the door and make entry. Luckily, the landlord showed up and gave us keys to get into the unit. As we opened the door, the creepiness started. The apartment was pitch black, not a single light, as if no one was home. Police entered first, and with our flashlights, we followed. Looking around the apartment, the kitchen and dining room looked like a hoarder's nest. I am not exaggerating when I say there were literally five-foot-tall mountains of garbage food dishes in the kitchen, and the same in the living room, but with magazines, clothes, garbage. This meant there was only a very narrow walkway to navigate the apartment. Officers proceeded down the hallway ahead where the bedroom and bathroom was. One of the officers stopped at the bathroom door as there was a light shining from underneath. The officer opened the door and stood in the hallway. With a flat tone, he said, She's in here. I walked in first into the bathroom. The first thing I noticed is the peculiarity of the light in the bathroom. It's a very pale yellow light coming from a single bulb on the ceiling, similar to those old heat lamps that used to be common in bathrooms. The light gave off an odd vibe, as it was just such unnatural light. The next thing I noticed is the lack of anything in the bathroom. No floor mats, no toilet cover, no towels, no knickknacks, just nothing. Empty. Except the vanity which contained the sink. In the bowl of the sink were approximately 20 to 30 makeup bottles piled up. Some were open and leaking, causing there to be powders and liquids everywhere. The last thing I noticed was the body of an elderly woman lying naked in the tub. As I walk closer, I can see her lying on her side, nearly in the fetal position. Her skin is pale, and there are about 8 inches of water in the tub. Looking at her face, her eyes are closed and her head is against the bottom of the tub with her mouth and nose completely submerged under the water. My partner steps in behind me. He suggests we just call the coroner and inform them of the body. Two officers pile into the bathroom behind my partner so that there are four of us in this tiny bathroom with me next to the lady in the tub. With me being who I am, I decide to do my due diligence and at least make sure the lady is dead. I kneel down next to the tub and reach my arm in and put my fingers on her neck in an attempt to check for a carotid pulse. In an instant, without warning or the slightest hint of movement, the woman springs up out of the tub with the agility and speed of a feral cat. The only reaction I was able to manage was just to stand up as quick as possible and just stood there staring at her. She stared back at me, eyes wide as can be before she started screaming at me. She attempted to cover herself with her hands as best she could while sitting in the water still. 
I quickly look around and notice everyone else who was in the bathroom with me bolted out of there. Not a single soul in sight. I try to still myself and try calming the lady down, telling her who I was and why I was there. She denied screaming and told me she does this every morning as she has some kind of joint condition and soaking in warm water helps ease her joint pain. Now at this point I have my doubts and I have to question this woman's sanity. I question her regarding self-harm and address what potentially could be interpreted as suicidal behavior. She denies all of it. The next step is to determine her mental capacity to ensure she is in the right frame of mind to make reasonable and appropriate decisions. She answers all of my other questions appropriately and at this point, per the law, she is able to refuse any and all care as she is mentally sound. I ask her if she will at least allow me to check her vitals so I can be sure she is healthy and I can add it to my report. She vehemently refuses and tells me to get out of her house, which she has the right to do. I acknowledge and have her sign a refusal of service form. As I leave the bathroom, my partner, the two officers who were in the bathroom with me, along with two other officers and firefighters that were waiting in the apartment, are just staring at me with eyes wide and gaping mouths, speechless. I don't say a word and we all leave the apartment. Once we all got outside, I had the most uneasy, uncontrolled fit of laughter. My partner and the officer started laughing too. My partner told me later that all he remembers is seeing her move, hearing me say, oh fuck, which I don't even remember, and running out of the bathroom. I wish I could say I never saw this lady again, but that would be untrue. Like I said, after this call, I was able to laugh about it once my heart stopped racing. I figured I would never have to see this lady again and that gave me comfort. I told the story several times to family, friends, and co-workers just because of the sheer shock value. This part of the story I've told only a couple of people because most probably can't stomach it. So be warned that this will contain some graphic content or imagery. About three months after the first call with the bathtub lady, I was working with another EMT basic partner. Not the same one as before, but he is well aware of the story. So the day is going like normal and nightfall comes. I'm hoping to get some sleep as generally night is a little calmer. Each of our stations have a few bedrooms with twin beds to allow us to at least sleep somewhat comfortably. I take off my boots and lay down and doze. I always keep my radio turned way up and by my head so I can wake up if we get a call. Sure enough, tones drop on the radio and I wake up. Looking at the clock, it's around 4 a.m. Radio traffic requests the ambulance for a welfare check on an individual who has not been seen for a while. Me and my partner get up, put our boots on, and start responding to the address. As we get closer, I start recognizing the area. Before I even see the building, I tell my partner, I swear to God, if it's the same fucking lady. He just laughs and we continue. As we pull up on the scene, sure as shit, same building. At this point, my heart starts to race again. A few officers are already on the scene. As I get out of the ambulance, one of the officers comes up and tells me, the lady we are here for has a friend that works at the gas station nearby. The friend told 911 that the lady usually comes and visits him every day, but that the friend hasn't seen her in a few weeks. The officer also tells me there's an odor coming from the apartment complex. If you work in EMS or have been around such, you know what that means. If not, then I won't spoil it for you just yet. I asked the officer if she's familiar with this person or has heard the story of the last encounter. The last officer tells me she's not, but her two co-workers behind her were on the original call with me and are smiling, but not saying a word. 
I tell the officer who the person is in our last run with her. The officer just raises her eyebrow a bit and says, Okay. We approach the apartment complex yet again. As I open the main door, you can immediately smell the odor permeating throughout the entire complex. We walk downstairs to the door of this lady's apartment. I bang on the door a few times and shout, Ambulance! No response. Officers bang on the door. No response. We try to get a hold of the landlord again to give us access, but he is unavailable. Over the radio, I request the fire department and request they bring the door spreader. The fire department arrives and they come downstairs and set up the door spreader. If you don't know, a door spreader is a tool that the fire department places between the two door jams and use a lever to start pressing the door jams apart, freeing the latch from the door frame so you can get in. As they finally open the door, that awful wafting smell spills out of the apartment. Same thing as last time, pitch black in the apartment, piles of garbage all around, five feet high that barely allows you to move through. Though this time it's a bit different. There are thousands of flies buzzing about. Again, the officer enters first with us following with our flashlights. One of the male officers gets down the hallway to the bathroom and opens the door. He looks back at me, shakes his head, and continues forward. My EMT partner, who's pretty new, is right behind me. I turn to him and tell him to wait in the hallway and that I'll let him know if I need him. I was trying to be nice and spare him. The officer continues down the hallway toward the bedroom. At this point, the anxiety is increasing because now we are in uncharted territory and once again, I have no idea what we are going to find. The officer eventually makes it to the bedroom. I see him shine his light into the bedroom, then uses the bend of his elbow to cover his mouth and nose. He waves me over. As I walk to him, the smell only gets stronger. I peer into the bedroom with my flashlight, and that's when I see her. The bedroom is set up so the bed is right in the middle of the room, with the head pressed against the wall. So there is some space on either side and at the foot of the bed. Or at least there would be if her floors weren't filled up to the height of the bed with clothes, magazines, books, food, and garbage. At the foot of the bed are two large, four-foot-tall piles of random shit that at the base are probably four feet in diameter. I know it's hard to visualize, but picture two large conical-shaped mounds side by side at the foot of the bed. In the tiny space between the two huge mounds and the foot of the bed lies Bathtub Lady. Now this lady is a very small old lady. When I saw her the first time, she weighed maybe 90 pounds. Stunned for a moment, I stand there next to the officer and just look. This is the part that gets grotesque. Bathtub lady is lying perfectly on her back with her arms folded up and crossed in front of her like you would see a skeleton doing in the movies. Bathtub lady's skin looks almost like paper. It is dried out and shrunken, turning black and rotting. The level of decomposition from her is one that I haven't seen before. Her hip bones were visible where the skin had cracked and receded. Her kneecaps were coming through her skin. A few ribs were just barely visible poking through the skin on the sides of her upper abdomen. Her hair was beginning to fall out. Her lips were gone. Her eyes were gone. I got a bit closer to look. All I kept thinking was, if you wake up, this officer is probably going to draw and shoot you in the head. I walked a little closer to look. She was almost perfectly preserved like a mummy. There was absolutely nothing left of her eyes. The sockets were completely empty with the exception of maggots crawling around in the sockets. 
From behind me, I hear a couple quiet, muffled gags. I walk back out to my partner. I tell him, Sorry, man, but I need your help. Everyone walks outside to get some fresh air. The officer that was in the bedroom with me gagged a few more times outside, but luckily didn't vomit. The one good thing about this is we had recently been given these really nice PAPR respirators from FEMA for a recent Ebola outbreak. My partner grabbed the body bag and I grabbed the PAPRs. We put our gear on and walked back inside. The officer that was with me, like a fucking champ, came back inside as well without a respirator and held the flashlight for us. Me and my partner spent about 10 minutes just clearing out all the trash so we had enough room to put the body bag down next to the bathtub lady. Once we got enough room, the sketchy part came. If you've ever seen a body with that amount of decomposition, it is very brittle. We attempted to move her over as carefully as we could as not to break anything. However, when we attempted to move her, she was stuck. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was at the head. My partner was at the feet trying to move her over. I put my arms down her back and neck to support the head so it didn't break off. I got down to look as I lifted to see what we were getting stuck on. As I lifted, I saw, but it was already too late. As I lifted her, the skin on her back was stuck to the carpet. So as I lifted, it started peeling off her ribs and spine. We had no other choice as we were unable to cut the carpet at this time. As we lifted her up, all the skin came off her back and stayed stuck to the floor. Almost like some sick chalk outline, which is when I saw it. What seemed to be like a thousand maggots crawling around on the inside of her skin between the skin and her back. We moved her gently into the bag, luckily not breaking anything. We got the bag out and into the ambulance, where we would then transport her to the funeral home with our windows rolled down and emergent, so we wouldn't have to stay in the ambulance as long as possible. So that's my story of bathtub lady. What we figured is she died shortly after our first encounter with her, and that we may have been the last ones to see her alive. This story is going to be mentioning some highly potentially triggering topics like child abuse, PTSD, depression, anxiety, self-harm, and suicide. I grew up in an incredibly abusive home on a farm in the middle of nowhere by deeply religious parents. The treatment I endured there is still affecting me to this day, and I have diagnosed PTSD from it, which I feel is worth mentioning because this all felt so real, and I believe it was, but for the sake of transparency, I am prone to auditory and visual hallucinations from my trauma, and it's possible this was all an attempt from my brain to help me deal with it. The abuse was at its worst point when this story happened. It spans over the course of about six months, of which I can't remember anything else than these specific events. I was at my lowest point, self-harming multiple times in a week, and had already seriously considered and attempted suicide half a dozen times leading up to it. But I was getting more and more sure that I didn't want to be in that situation anymore and was working up the courage to go through with it for real. I was depressed, scared, tired, and, with how isolated my parents kept me, both literally in distance from town to interpersonally, I saw no other way out. 
That was when the strangeness started. Now, the house had always been haunted, so I was used to shadows and sounds, even seeing ghosts in and around the home, but never actually had the strangeness in my own room. My room was on the opposite end of the long farmhouse from everyone else's, and no one except me really went in there. But things started moving. Small things at first. For instance, a necklace I knew for a fact I'd set on my dresser was on the bookcase across the room. Clothes wouldn't be where I dropped them, and then bigger things started moving. Clothes baskets full of laundry would be on one end of my room when I went into the bathroom, only to be on the other when I came back. If I'd left a heavy book open on my bed, it was on the floor. These occurrences I managed to brush off as, oh, I must have forgotten I moved it, or maybe the cat bumped it. But that's when the shadows started. I'd see the shape of a human shadow moving across my bedroom wall at all hours, just drifting around before vanishing, only to reappear a few hours later. This actually made me feel nervous enough I slept on the living room couch for the next full week. But eventually, not wanting to deal with my family, I decided to brave my room again. The shadows had stopped by then, and for a while nothing happened. Until one day, in the middle of the afternoon, I was home alone and sitting in my bed reading when an entire boy appeared in front of my closet. The best way I can describe him is that he looked like a young Ben Barnes. I was about 16 at the time and he didn't look any older than that. Very pale, almost see-through and wearing what I figured out since must have been a Civil War uniform. I screamed, curled up into the furthest corner of the bed that I could to get away from him and just about chucked my book at his face. He apologised for startling me and vanished. He reappeared a few days later. Same thing. I cowered away from him on the bed. He apologised and vanished. This happened multiple times over the next couple of weeks until finally, when he reappeared in the same spot, he asked if we could talk and if it would be alright if he came closer. I don't know why I did, but I said yes. So he approached, sat next to me on the bed and introduced himself. He said his name was Matthew and that he was sorry for scaring me. He hadn't meant to, and if I told him that I wanted him to leave for good, he would. I said no, and we started talking. It became a regular thing over the next few months, with him appearing at random and us talking. He seemed interested in knowing how I was doing, if I was okay, checking up on me, and making sure I laughed. I'd tell him about my day. I'd tell him about that day's abuse, how upset I was, how much I was hurting and wanted to hurt myself. And he kept me from doing it, never lost his temper, never seemed annoyed. He would just hear me out, talk me out of self-harming, tell me stories and jokes to make me laugh, and then leave. It was about five months of this when my parents started noticing that something was off, and I wound up having to tell them about Matthew. They were horrified, calling him a demon, basically told me I was cursed or possessed and dragged me into church to be blessed. And when that didn't work, they started calling me crazy. They told me he was all in my head. They dragged me to a Christian therapist who told me I needed to pray because I was crazy. 
For almost a month, I was being told I had fully lost my mind, that I was insane, that if he was real, he was an evil demon. My mood started to fall. Depression began rearing its ugly head as strong as before, and I started doubting him. I started thinking that maybe they were right. I got suspicious of his motives, what he even was. I felt guilty for doing it. I knew him, but my parents kept pushing and pushing. At the end of that month, Matthew appeared like he usually did, in the same spot in my room by my closet, but he was looking sad, like I'd never seen him before. He apologised over and over. He told me he saw how sad I was and wanted to help, but that he believed he had somehow made things worse. And he told me that he was going to leave for good. He said to tell my parents that he had gone, so maybe they might ease up in their treatment of me. At this point, I was crying, and I lunged out of my bed with my hand out like I was going to grab his arm, but he'd already disappeared. My mum found me sobbing on my bedroom floor, right where he'd been. My parents have forgotten all about Matthew, and I think it's best that way, but I'll always be indebted to the ghost who was there for me when no one else was, who kept me from making what would have been a terrible mistake, and it's thanks to him that I'm alive today. And if I somehow find him on the other side, I hope I have a chance to properly thank him for what he did for me. If you're somehow reading this, Matthew, the mountains are green again. This happened to me about three years ago, and it still haunts me to this day. For a short while after graduating high school, I moved in with my aunt, who lives about 30 minutes outside of Grand Rapids in a small, quiet suburb. She was kind enough to house me and feed me, but she required that I pay for all my other expenses, doctors, clothes, toiletries, etc. In order to pay for these things, I decided to get a job as a pizza delivery boy at the local pizza shop. For about two months, the job went smoothly, with me making enough money to pay for all my expenses, plus extra to mess around with. It was a Friday evening in late September when I arrived at the pizza shop to clock in. I'm from New Jersey, so it would normally still be warm out this time of year. I remember being a little annoyed that I had to stop wearing shorts and start wearing a sweatshirt out. After making two deliveries, relatively close by, we got a call for a delivery that was in the neighboring town about 25 minutes out. The suburb I was staying in was the last suburb of Grand Rapids. And this neighboring town was very rural, with houses spread far apart and lots of farmland in between. This annoyed me because the roads were always dark with barely any streetlights out there, and it would be almost an hour round trip for a small order. Anyways, I got the pizza order and started on my way out. About a half hour later, I arrived to this relatively large house on a side road with no other houses on it. I get out of the car noticing I'm surrounded by wheat fields far as the eye could see. The street had no street light and the only light I could see was the porch light of the house. I went up to the door and rang the doorbell, waiting about five minutes with no answer, so I decided to ring it again. After the second ring, 
I could hear what sounded like to be an elderly lady call out to me, asking me to wait a minute. After waiting for what seemed to be another five minutes, an old, short, white-haired lady opened the door and greeted me with a big smile. After handing her the pizza, she invited me to come in and wait while she got her wallet so that I wouldn't have to wait in the cold. I politely declined, as I knew in the back of my head that it's never a smart thing to do. She seemed shocked to hear this and asked once again. After saying no a second time, she started to look a little annoyed, asking me in one more time. At this point, I started thinking to myself that she probably could have got the money and the time she's wasting just standing here asking me to come in. After declining a third time, she turned around and placed the pizza on a small table in the walkway, then turned to look at me again, asking for a fourth time to come in. At this point, I thought to myself, how much time this lady is wasting? Not only did I have to drive 30 minutes to her house, I also stood outside waiting for her to come to the door for another 10. I have now been going back and forth with her for another five minutes about not waiting in her house while she gets the money. After all this, I would have to drive another half hour back to the pizza shop, and all this time, I thought to myself about an hour and a half in total for a $5 tip wasn't worth it. After declining a fourth time, she asked again, this time stating that she needed help counting the money for me as it was hard for her to see the denominations. I decided that this was too much of a waste of time and told her she could have the pizza for free. As soon as I said this, her smile vanished and I turned away to get back into my car ASAP as she was starting to freak me out. As I start making my way down to the porch steps, she yells at me to come back as she has a $50 bill and that I could just keep the change. Immediately after saying this, I start to hear rustling in the wheat field straight ahead of me, and I felt my heart drop as I saw the wheat being pushed down closer towards me. At this moment, I knew there was someone in the wheat field, and I ran across the street to my car, getting in and locking the doors instantly, starting the car and getting ready to floor it. As I threw the car in drive and slammed on the gas, a horrible screeching sound surrounds me as my car accelerates slower than I anticipated down the street. About three seconds later, two powerful pops about a second apart fill my eardrums as I find it harder to control the car. I then see out of my left side view mirror sparks coming from my left rear tire and I realize my tires popped. I felt like I was about to throw up. Of course this happens now and not any other time. I decided that I could give a shit less about the damage driving on a flat was going to cost and continued to floor the car down the street. I called my boss while driving down the dark roads and he told me to call the police as it is highly unusual that someone would ask me four times to enter their house and even offer a higher price after being gifted free pizza. I hung up and called the police and told them everything that happened and they told me they would send a patrol car to check it out. At this point, I was about a mile away from her house when a third loud pop broke. The silence in my car veered hard to the right. I pulled over as driving felt near impossible and got out of the car to see what was wrong. 
Both my rear tires and my front right tire had all been blown out, and at this moment, I knew I wasn't going anywhere. I called the police and asked if they could send another patrol car to my location so that I could be picked up and dropped back off at the pizza shop, or I could then make plans for a tow company to get my car. For about ten minutes, I sat on the side of a pitch-black road, with no houses in sight, still shaken up about what just happened at the house. I replayed the events over and over in my head, and the image of the wheat moving and the sound of something approaching made me sick to my stomach. I wanted to get out of there and just go home and lock up all the doors. I see the police headlights pull up behind me and I immediately get out to thank them. The policeman gets out too and says he would like me to give a statement about what happened at that house while his partner is there checking it out. While giving my statement, I mentioned that three tires blew out and how unlucky I was for that to happen at this time. Immediately, he gave me a troubled look, pointing at how rare it was for one tire to blow out, let alone three. He started looking at all my tires and then noticed that in my front driver's side tire, the only one that hadn't blown out, there was an obvious slash from what seemed to be a knife. He told me it looked as if someone slashed all my tires while I was on the porch of the house. He immediately connected the dots, saying this was a setup to possibly abduct me. He told me he thinks the plan was that the old woman would lure me into the house where another person would then restrain me. At the same time, he told me someone was probably in the fields, going to my car to slash my tires, that way I couldn't escape and the noise I heard in the field right in front of the house was probably him returning. He thinks the reason why the woman yelled so loud to take the 50 was to alert the man that I wasn't cooperating, and he would have probably abducted me himself and ushered me into the house. But luckily, my quick thinking allowed me to escape in time. We drove back to the police station, where we met with his partner, who said no one answered the door, and he knocked and waited and there was no sign anyone was at home other than the illuminated porch light. I quit that day. I still have nightmares thinking about what could have happened to me if I had entered that house. Well, that just about wraps up tonight's show, darlings. Do keep leaving ratings and reviews on Apple as it helps the show reach more people. And keep sending in your strange but true stories. You can submit them through our website, DeadlyDebbie.com, or just email them straight to DeadlyDebbie at Mail.com. Oh, and I'm thinking of doing a giveaway soon, so stay tuned for that. Sleep well, kittens, and see you all next week. <laughs>